Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast. Uh, this is our Wednesday edition of the show for week 15, coming at you from January 25th of 2023. Uh, I'm your main host, Karsten. Uh, unfortunately, we're not joined by Justin today. Unfortunately, he's uh, had a pretty busy schedule the, the last couple of weeks. He's been a bit overwhelmed, and so he uh, Figured it'd be best for his personal uh, time commitments at this time to not do tonight's episode. Uh, so we wish him the best of luck in getting some of those things um, taken care of that he needs to. Hopefully, getting his schedule <clears throat> calmed down a little bit, whatever that entails specifically. Uh, we'll leave that to him. But uh, regardless, we'll go ahead and uh, carry on. We'll get the show going in his absence here. And we're going to start by recapping last night's action, Tuesday night's action, January 24th. Uh, and we have, let's see, seven, yeah, seven games to recap from last night. Uh, firstly, the Indiana Pacers won at home against the Chicago Bulls, 116 to 110, a classic divisional matchup here. Uh, and the Pacers were down by as much as 21 points. Uh, let's see, that would have been right before halftime. Uh, but then they whittled away slowly but surely. And then in the fourth quarter, it was back and forth in the last half of the fourth quarter before the Pacers managed to steal the game and end their seven-game losing streak uh, with a win over the Bulls. For those Bulls, they were led by DeMar DeRozan, who had 33 points in the game, along with five boards. They also got 20 points and eight rebounds from Nikola Vucevic and 14 points from Zach Levine. Uh, the only other double-figure score for them was Derek Jones Jr. with 10 points off the bench. <clears throat> Meanwhile, for Indiana, they had two guys with 26 points each, Miles Turner and Benedict Matherin. Matherin, the rookie coming off the bench still, uh, their sixth man, one of the candidates surely for both sixth man and rookie of the year. Uh, certainly a top five name in both of those races. Uh, 20 points and 10 assists from TJ McConnell, who uh, continues to get uh, more minutes in relief of Tyrese Halliburton with his injury, and he's playing well there. Uh, 19 points for Buddy Heald and 11 each for Chris Duarte and Terry Taylor. So a nice win for Indiana to end that slide and to get a win in the division against the Chicago Bulls. Next, this was the first of the two games as part of the rivalry week um, that were national broadcast. Uh, this was the Miami Heat hosting the Boston Celtics in a matchup of last season's Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, Boston held the lead through much of this game, uh, but Miami was able to uh, whittle that lead down, take a lead eventually in the fourth, although it was very back and forth through the first half. Uh, Boston held uh, a lead as much as 14 points in the third quarter. But again, uh, Miami took the lead in the back half of the fourth quarter, and they managed to go on to win the game. For Boston, uh, they were without Jalen Brown in this game, as well as Malcolm Brogdon <clears throat> and Marcus Smart. So they were a little bit shorthanded. Uh, Jason Tatum led the way for them, 31 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists, good percentages he was uh you know trying to really will this team to a victory nice game from Derek White as well 23 points and six assists um all the other starters scored in double figures uh 10 each for Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard 11 points for Robert Williams uh however for Miami they were just a touch better 
Uh, neither team was ultra high scoring in this game, but they did get 30 points, 15 rebounds uh, from Bam Adebayo, 13 points from Max Struess, 12 for Oladipo off the bench, and 15 for Haywood Highsmith, along with 10 rebounds off the bench as well. Um, Jimmy Butler did not play in this game. Kind of a side note, I'm sure you you might have seen it on social media. Uh, there was uh, one young fan in, in particular. He was there with his family. I don't remember where exactly he was from, but he had traveled a great distance. I think probably over four thousand miles. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, he had traveled uh, to see his his favorite player, Jimmy Butler, and was you know disappointed obviously, to hear that he would not be playing that night. But then uh, footage of him finding out live, and he was, you know, clearly you could see his disappointment. Uh, that got back to Jimmy Butler. It got the, the Heat, you know, team in general as far as, you know, uh, the PR and, you know, stuff like that. And so they, they've, they you know, more than made up for it. They got him, you know, jersey, uh, basketball, they he met Jimmy Butler later that day, or maybe the next day, you know, pictures with Jimmy Butler, uh, the works, you know, so great to see them making up for that. But uh, regardless, back to the original point, Butler did not play in this game, but regardless, Miami still rallies to get the win against Boston as Boston's picked up a, a couple of losses in their recent stretch of games. Uh, next, the New York Knicks defend the garden, Madison Square Garden, uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers visiting the Knicks win 105 to 103. Uh, and Julius Randle held a, a big part in this victory. Uh, for the Cavs, though, they were led by Jared Allen's 24 points and 12 rebounds. <laughs> they have, excuse me. Oh, can't get my throat clear. They also had 24 points from uh, Donovan Mitchell. Good to see him back in the lineup. 22 for Darius Garland. And 12 for Evan Mobley. Meanwhile, for the Knicks, the aforementioned Julius Randle, 36 points and 13 rebounds. Uh, he led all scores in this game. Uh, 16 from R.J. Barrett, 14 from Jalen Brunson, 11 from Moby Toppin off the bench, and 10 for Quentin Grimes in that starting lineup as the Knicks were able to get that win against Cleveland. Nice win for them to, uh, you know, get right. They had lost a few themselves, and especially against the Cavs team, that's one of the better teams in the the league, uh, certainly in the East, that's a nice win for them. Uh, next, the Denver Nuggets win a thriller uh, on the road in New Orleans against the Pelicans, 99-98. to And Jokic was the uh, deciding factor here, as you would expect, but even more so than uh, some other nights. Uh, for the Pelicans, they were led by 20 points from C.J. McCollum, and they also had uh, 17 from Jose Alvarado off the bench. There were four other scores and double figures. Meanwhile, for the Nuggets, <clears throat> Jokic had a triple-double, 25 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. A triple-double for him is becoming the the norm, the, you know, the rule rather than the exception. Uh, they also had 25 from Jamal Murray. More and more, he's been solid for them, even, you know, approaching what he had been before those injuries that limited him much of the last year or two. Uh, 11 each for Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown uh, in the starting lineup. Uh, but for Jokic, it appears he did have the game winner that helped decide this one for Denver. So a nice win for them, uh, getting Jokic back in the lineup after he'd missed uh, a series of games. Uh, 
Next, the Washington Wizards go into Dallas and win 127 to 126. A very close game here. Uh, <clears throat> I think Porzingis had played a game in Dallas uh, since he had been traded before this, but certainly uh, that's a storyline that, uh, you know, is an undercurrent of this matchup. Uh, the rematch, or not rematch, but a, a matchup of Doncic versus Porzingis when before they were teammates. Um, it was sort of back and forth. I mean, uh, Dallas held leads in the second, third, and fourth quarters. Washington held, uh, you know, leads throughout the game. They, they held leads more often, I suppose you would say. Um, for Dallas, they were led, as you'd expect, by Luka Doncic. He had 41 points, 15 rebounds, and six assists. Uh, 22 for Dwight Powell. Nice game for him. Not usually as high of a scorer. 20 points from Spencer Dinwiddie, 12 for Dorian Finney-Smith, and 16 off the bench for Josh Green. Meanwhile, for the Wizards, uh, 30 points from Kyle Kuzma. He continues to have very solid games and be a solid uh, player for the Wizards. Not quite in that all-star conversation, certainly, but more than just your solid starter. He's uh, you know, a nice piece for them, we could say it that way. Uh, 22 points for Bradley Beal. 14 for Corey Kispert and 13 for Monte Morris, both starting in this game. Uh, Denny Avdia, 15 points, 10 rebounds off the bench, and 10 points for DeLon Wright off the bench as well, uh, as the Wizards able to escape Dallas with a road victory. Next, the Phoenix Suns defend home court. They're starting to get some wins put together after uh, a, a long stretch of losses. Uh, they win big against Charlotte Hornets in Phoenix, 128-97. to uh, that's the Suns' fourth straight victory, and the Suns never, well, they trailed a few minutes into the game, but after that, once they took the lead, uh, they never relinquished the lead. They led by as much as 33 points, uh, pretty much a route, you would say. For the Hornets, they were led by uh, Terry Rozier. He had 19 points. He's been the leading factor for this team with LaMelo Ball missing most of the season so far. 17 for Mason Plumley and 15 points 10 rebounds for Jalen McDaniels. Uh, those are the only double-figure scorers. For Phoenix, on the other hand, they had 24 points from Cameron Johnson. As he gets more acclimated to the lineup, he's going to be probably the scoring guy along with Mikael Bridges and Chris Paul. And that Now Chris Paul's back in the lineup um, in the wake of Devin Booker still recovering from injury. Uh, they got 19 off the bench from Dario Saric, 18 in the starting lineup from Mikael Bridges. Uh, excuse me, and Chris Paul picked up 11 assists to go with his 14 points. Uh, 15 off the bench as well for Jock Landale, 15 points, that is. And the Suns pick up that win. And finally, uh, the second of those national broadcast games as part of the tip-off of NBA Rivals Week, uh, the L.A. Clippers, technically the road team, visiting the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, win the road matchup and continue their recent run of uh dominance against the Lakers as far as the last several seasons, their record against the Lakers. They win this one 133 to 115, uh, despite a big game from LeBron James. In fact, the Clippers never trailed in this game and had a lead as much as 23 points. Uh, for the Lakers, the aforementioned LeBron James, 46 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. He continues to elevate his pace and uh, whittle down the expected time or ETA for when he will break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. Um, 
He got 15.7 rebounds from Thomas Bryant in the starting lineup and 17 off the bench for Russell Westbrook. Uh, the team as a whole didn't shoot too poorly, um, but the Clippers were firing on all cylinders in this game. 27 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists for Paul George, 25 points for Kawhi Leonard, along with 9 rebounds, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. Those two getting it done in this game. Uh, as well as Norman Powell off the bench. He continues to solidify his case as a sixth man of the year candidate. 22 points, four rebounds, four assists. 19 as well for Reggie Jackson off the bench. And 17 in that starting lineup for Terrence Mann as they dominate the Lakers. Okay, that takes care of our action from last night's slate of games. Let's go ahead and talk our key news. Um, With that 40 six-point game against the Clippers, uh, LeBron James did become the first player in NBA history to score 40 points against each NBA team. Uh, of course, he's played for three different teams at this point, so that helped his chances of scoring 40 against the team that he has played for. Uh, this kind of reminds me of that um, NFL stat where, you know, limited players who have scored a touchdown, you know, quarterbacks mainly, have thrown a touchdown against every team, uh, every franchise in the NFL, kind of that same vibe. Uh, but LeBron, first player to do that, to score 40 against every NBA team. So that's uh, pretty remarkable and certainly a credit to his uh, ability and his lengthy career, his excellent career. Uh, a few injury things to talk about uh, with Memphis. Stephen Adams, unfortunately, is going to be out three to five weeks with a sprained right knee. Uh, huge loss for them as they're one of the top teams in the NBA, uh, not just Western Conference. Uh, and um, another significant note this time for Milwaukee, uh, Bobby Portis will be out at least two weeks with both a right knee MCL sprain and a right ankle sprain. Uh, so pretty devastating news for both those teams. Uh, Milwaukee, you think about them just barely getting both Giannis and Tanakupo and uh, Chris Middleton back from injury and now the game I think the very game that the, both of those two came back or maybe that game the very next game as soon as those two come back now they lose Bobby Portis their sixth man uh, and the guy who's been filling in for Giannis so uh, but Stephen Adams a huge loss of starting center for that Memphis team uh, both definitely wishing both of those guys the best uh, as they are now working towards recovering from those injuries. Hopefully they can get back on the floor as soon as possible. Um, I know from Sacramento, uh, GM Monty McNair, uh, who's been a huge part of their uh, strong season this year, he has been given a multi-year contract extension. Uh, He's the general manager for Sacramento, uh, the Kings. So congratulations to him getting that extension. He's done a great job with this team. Uh, I'm not sure how long he's been there. I feel like it's probably just been within the last few years or a couple of years. Uh, He's certainly in that conversation for executive of the year at this point. Um, But congratulations again for getting that contract extension. He's done a great job and his team has played very well so far this season. Um, Another thing, going back to Memphis, this is the reverse news, more positive news uh, for the Grizzlies. Danny Green, who has not played yet this season, he plans to make his season debut, uh, which also is his return from injury, a left knee injury that he had, um, I think, last season is when he sustained it. He is planning to return February 1st at home versus the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, So that's definitely something to watch out for. Hopefully he can help 
boost that lineup, especially if they're going to be missing uh, one of their key players. For Denver, uh, tonight, uh, Nikola Jokic, after he made his return from injury and missing a couple games with some some uh, more soreness than actual injury, I believe, uh, he did not play tonight versus the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, but he was one of several. Uh, Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Michael Porter Jr. also did not play, so definitely worth noting Nuggets shorthanded tonight versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, some... Also some good news in the kind of the vein of the Danny Green, but this is more immediate uh, for the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram did return tonight versus Minnesota. Fantastic to see him back. Uh, the Pelicans were struggling very much without either him or Zion Williamson. They get Brandon Ingram back now. Hopefully they can get Zion back too. Excuse me before, uh, before too long, uh, before too much longer rather and then for the Lakers, uh, Anthony Davis returned tonight versus San Antonio, and he played alongside Rui Hachimura, who made his debut for the Lakers. Uh, so both those teams getting boosts. Uh, the Lakers, you know, really wanted to get Anthony Davis back in the time that he was gone, the 20 games he missed. They were 10-10, and 10, and so they they didn't fall completely apart. They didn't, uh, you know, go on a tear without him. They sort of stayed the course. They're... Uh, just a couple of games under 500 and he's back and Roy Hachimura is now playing alongside him as a new part of the Lakers rotation. So uh, those are the the main things. Again, great to see Ingram back. Great to see Anthony Davis back. Uh, and that takes care of our key news. Um, we'll touch a little bit more on the Lakers and Anthony Davis with our weekly predictions. Um, again, Justin, with his, his busy schedule, wasn't able to do a prediction for us. Um, we'll just have my prediction this week. Hopefully that will be uh, sufficient. Uh, again, he's uh, he's totally fine. He's, you know, just busy schedule, as I said. Uh, but we'll go ahead and cha- chat just a little bit about um, the trade deadline. Again, that's coming up uh, sooner and sooner every day. I think February 9th is the trade deadline. So we've got uh, just a couple of weeks before that approaches us. Um, I thought I would mess around a little bit. ESPN has a NBA trade machine. And I thought I'd just mess around a little bit with that and see what uh, what that might look like as far as, um, you know, players that are talked about as being, you know, trades or uh, players worth trading for for contenders. And I thought I'd just, you know, glance at that a little bit and see what it would look like. <clears throat> As I get a drink to try and keep my voice going here. Um, if I, if we kind of go back through the stuff we looked at last week, as far as the ESPN trade deadline uh, suggestions, John Collins is a name that came up. Uh, so we can maybe add, yeah, John Collins. Um, how do we add? Oh, we've got to add team two. So who, what's a team that would need John Collins? And we can just kind of create our own trade scenarios and see what that would look like. Um, if we're thinking about contenders that need forward help, um, Boston might be interesting. I don't know if that, I mean, they feel like they're, they're playing pretty well right now. I don't know if they feel like they need that help. Cleveland's probably pretty good. Brooklyn, eh, maybe. 
Philadelphia might be interesting, but they're on a really good streak as of late as well. Um, Chicago, let's maybe look in the Western Conference. Of course, got uh, Denver at the top, Memphis right next to them. Um, and then you have, you know, New Orleans is in there. What if, you know, New Orleans tries to make it? And I'm not saying this is worth any kind of move for either of these teams. But I'm curious, you know, if uh, you have John Collins trying – or rather you have the Pelicans, if they, you know, are going to be without Zion for a while still and they feel like they need that um, forward help, you know, what this kind of a trade would look like. And this might just be silly, more an exercise in seeing how this um, website, this web page rather works than any kind of, you know, actual trade. But let's say the Pelicans want to get John Collins. They want to get forward help. Um, they give up, let's see, uh, one of these two-way players. Yeah, those are two-way contracts. Let's say they give up Kira Lewis because he hasn't really, I don't feel like he's been a huge um part of their lineup um trade exception interesting uh use four million available from maurice harkless hmm. not sure exactly what that means um garrett temple maybe they give up garrett temple because i feel like he probably hasn't been a huge part of their lineup i mean they they've played you know, they have uh, Najee Marshall, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy. Those have been the swing men when it's not Zion and Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum in that lineup. You got Larry Nance, Jackson Hayes. You know, I feel like Garrett Temple and he's getting older gets kind of lost in the shuffle. So give up Garrett Temple, who, but I don't know if that would really make sense for Atlanta. You know, and that's the thing with this. I'm as I'm doing this, I'm realizing this is kind of um, not really a trade that makes sense. I don't get why Atlanta would give up on John Collins. He's still a fairly young player, and yes, he has regressed. But they, I don't know what the trade would be where they get someone who's going to make their team better. In my <laughs> mind, if you're trading John Collins, it's to get some kind of capital more. Um, and you're trading him to a team that needs that help and you wouldn't be getting a better player in return, you know? So I don't really see that kind of a trade for Atlanta's sake. Um, let's explore maybe one more, just what if like a player that has been in the conversation, we'll explore the jazz. Cause I think people look at the jazz uh, on the outside, you know, view as a team that's going to look to, you know, they're right for the picking with some veteran guys who could make an impact with a contending type team. And Mike Conley is the name that always comes up with that. He's got a big contract. I'm not entirely opposed to seeing Mike Conley go in that sense. You know, I, I love him being with the jazz and he's been a great, you know, player for us. He's been, uh, you know, a credit to the NBA, you know, he's been a sportsmanship award winner, a uh, citizenship award winner, teammate of the year. I mean, he's been, you know, the, one of the great teammates and, you know, players for an organization that you could have. Uh, I've liked seeing him play with the jazz. I like him as a player. Um, just purely talking about, you know, building the roster going forward. 
you know, there's some interesting possibilities. But then the question is with this, what um, team needs a point guard that would be willing to take on the salary that feels like they need that point guard to boost their help a little bit? Probably not Boston because they just barely got Brogdon to help out their guards. Um, Probably not Cleveland because they've got a young group and they're all kind of growing and they've got pretty solid guards as well. You know, maybe it's a Milwaukee team. Um, You look at their guards. Well, they've got Allen, Joe Ingles, Drew Holiday, Connaughton. They still got George Hill. No, it's probably not Milwaukee. Um, It might be Brooklyn. I mean, you've got Simmons and Kyrie, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas. No, it's probably not Brooklyn either. You know, pardon me while I'm just kind of going through the line trying to talk myself into all of these possibilities would philadelphia make a trade like that do they would they feel like they need that scoring help as a guard they have maxi and harden melton and milton those are all no that that rotation's good enough i don't know if they would need conley in that um for the western conference memphis Ooh, that would be interesting send Mike Conley back to Memphis. Um, yeah, that could be interesting. The The question is, though, who do they get back? Um, so you send Mike Conley, and then in return you get, like, again, I, I don't know if this trade makes sense for either team. You get, like, Danny Green or something. I don't know. Again, I'm realizing the more I talk about this, I – how unqualified I am to, you know, try and put together these um, potential trades. Cause you know, I, I feel like a lot of teams are pretty good where they're at, you know, especially those contending teams. And, you know, if you're making a move, I feel like you got to give up a lot to, to get a, a piece or two and you, you run the risk of, you know, depleting depth or damaging, you know, your long-term prospects. So that's an interesting, interesting tool to, to mess around with, certainly. Um, and there's still plenty you can talk about with the uh, trade deadline. Um, and uh, there'll be more and more, I'm sure, to talk about as that gets closer and closer. But just wanted to touch on it again, um, being aware of it as it gets closer to the trade deadline itself. Um, let's talk also real quick this is our last main item before we kind of wrap things up a little bit of a shorter show we'll talk about uh weekly predictions we do this every wednesday uh come up with a prediction or two that we think um you know maybe it's something we don't hold a lot of stock in maybe it's something we feel very strongly in but it's fun to do these every you know week and have a couple of them and throw them out as kind of where we think teams players the league is going uh as we get closer to the end of the season so my prediction for this week, I'm throwing this one out there, um, and I'm kind of laughing at myself, finding myself uh, making this prediction um, with this team's history in mind and my history with this team. I'll quit being vague about it. My prediction is this. The Lakers will finish the season in the top half of the Western Conference, so eighth seed and up. And I, what I was getting at, I'm – you know, normally not a Lakers fan. 
Uh, I'm a jazz fan, of course, and there's been there's been a rivalry, certainly not to the extent of, you know, say a Celtics Lakers rivalry or, um, you know, Clippers Warriors was was competitive for a little while. Uh, Warriors Cavs when it was those teams in the finals, you know, four years in a row. Um, not to the extent of that rivalry, but there's a good amount of history, uh, especially playoff history between the Jazz and the Lakers uh, through the mid to late 80s, through uh, early and late 90s, 2000s. I mean, there's a lot of uh, Lakers Jazz history there. Um, and, you know, both those teams have been competitive for long stretches. And so, um, Usually rooting against the Lakers. Um, at times, I can be a bit of a LeBron detractor. Um, I certainly have my gripes with Russell Westbrook. Um, but for whatever reason, I've found myself kind of rooting for this team a little bit more. Because, don't get me wrong, the last season, as a non-Lakers fan, I found myself really enjoying seeing that team struggle, which is odd. You know, I normally... It's like disappointing to see that, but for some reason I was really excited for that. I think there was something about that team, last season's team, and their general vibe or their feeling, uh, the aura, if you want to go with that one, um, was that they felt like they were a lock for the postseason. They just had to, you know, go through the motions the regular season, they'd get to the postseason, then they'd flip a switch because of their talent pool and they would just be able to have a deep run in the playoffs. And it didn't work out that way. And I think what I has changed and makes me want to root for this team this year is it feels like they've kind of learned their lesson, if you you know want to put it that way. And they're, you know, really doing their best to make things work. I like their head coach, Darvin Ham. I, I you know, he's a guy that's worth rooting for. Um, LeBron, of course, the season is under the undertone of the season is all about his chase and the scoring record, which is certainly valid. Um, but he's also, you know, what he's doing at his age is said ad nauseum, but even at that point, it's still remarkable being as, you know, at his age, you know, one of the tops in scoring over the past month, 35 points in the last, you know, month or so, 35 points a game. Like no one does that. So he's been remarkable. I like the scheme. I've said this a few times. I like the scheme of Westbrook coming off the bench instead of being that starting guard. I think it makes a lot of sense. You have LeBron dominate the ball as a starter. He comes out. Westbrook dominates the ball as the bench guy. Both score. LeBron's more the all-round guy. And then with Anthony Davis, when he's healthy, he's that, you know, plays off LeBron. LeBron can be a bit more distributor. Davis can start to lead the team more than LeBron. And then they've, you know, rectified the problem last year, which was it was an old roster that wasn't formulated the most, um, the the best that it could have been. It wasn't a very well-constructed roster, a lot of older players. And this season has been the, the opposite. They've accrued a lot of younger talent. You know, Thomas Bryant, I think, has been a great guy, and I like his fit next to Anthony Davis. You've got, uh, you know, Austin Reeves, who's playing kind of, you know, the overachiever role. Um, They now add a Hachimura, who I think is a nice bench piece for them. And, you know, Schroeder's been playing well, even though he's, uh, you know, 
more veteran than younger player. And so there's just something I'm talking about this more than I need to go into a lot more detail, but there's something about this Lakers team that feels a lot different. They don't have that, you know, overconfident cocky feeling that the last season's team had. It has a theme of like, they know that they're struggling and they know that it's not the perfect roster, but they want to make it work and they want to prove some people wrong and they want to rectify what happened last year. And I like that feeling. I like what I'm getting from the Lakers. And you, again, you think about it, they were really in a groove once Anthony Davis was on a, you know, he was a scoring tear, he was rebounding, he was playing MVP level basketball. And then he goes down with an injury. They keep the team afloat during that time. He's now back. LeBron's playing better than ever. And you have Westbrook off the bench. Thomas Bryant now is solidified in that center spot. I like their chances. I'm not saying it's going to happen. These predictions are, you know, based on what, you know, the kind of roadmap is for the team right now. I like their chances of being able to finish the season in that top half, certainly being in that play in to playoff picture and being a competitive team. If they get into their, that area, do they go far in the playoffs? Maybe they're a first round exit. Maybe they're a conference final team you know, second round, it's hard to say, really. But I like their chances to be in that top half of the Western Conference. I'll leave it at that. Um, hopefully I didn't go too in-depth with that, but just thought I would talk through that point a little bit more to, uh, to you know, go in-depth with it, I suppose. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and jump to our uh, This Day in History fact. So this is January 25th. We're going way back to 1960, January 25th of 1960, uh, this day in history, Wilt Chamberlain scored 58 points, which was the most ever by an NBA rookie as Philadelphia beat Detroit 127 to 117 at Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, Remember at this time, this is the Philadelphia Warriors. So the franchise that is now the Golden State Warriors. Uh, was where Wilt was drafted and played his best basketball. Um, Chamberlain tied his record less than a month later. So he had 50 po- 58 points again later uh, in that same season. Just, uh, of course, a remarkable player. I think he averaged something like 30 or 40 points a game as a rookie. Uh, but then a season or two later, go on to, yeah, two seasons later, would average 50 points a game famously. In that same season, he had 100 points in a single game. Um, one of the giants of the game, I don't think we'll ever see his scoring achievements matched by any, uh, you know, modern NBA player. Uh, so definitely, you know, anytime we can recognize his greatness, worth uh, worth doing that with our uh, with our podcast here. But uh, that takes care of the the schedule and the plan for this episode. Uh, again, sorry that Justin wasn't able to be on the podcast, but, uh, you know, he's, he, he, as we all do, he's got, you know, a busy life outside of the podcast. I've got, you know, things sometimes that make it hard for me to do the show. So uh, we thank you for for being understanding of that. And we also thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back with you tomorrow for our Thursday show. We'll wrap up uh, tonight's <clears throat> game action. I've already seen some things from tonight's games that are going to be worth talking about tomorrow uh and we'll do our franchise focus uh tomorrow's franchise focus will be on the la clippers uh so with that thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you tomorrow